back. We don't know when the world will end, when our lives will end, any of that. Time is really short. So what Paul is saying is now is the opportune time. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. So as opportunity provides, as the Lord opens doors, as you're given opportunity, walk through that door. In fact, remember, he's just asked them to pray for him that he will walk through that open door, that he'll take advantage of the opportunity. I don't know about you, but sitting in an awful prison doesn't feel like much of an opportunity to me. But to Paul, he's saying, this is a new opportunity for me. Pray that I take full advantage of this opportunity that I've been given. Amen? It has long been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, this quote, At all times, preach the word, and when necessary, use words. You let that sink in? At all times, preach the word. When necessary, use words. When necessary, use words. In other words, am I being wise toward outsiders? Not in having all the right answers, not being able to say the right things about Jesus or my faith or theology But am I wise toward outsiders in how I'm living my life? Now, I think wisdom about how I live my life is as much about intentionality as anything else. You know, the Bible says that most people in this world are led by the flesh. Whatever their fleshly impulses call them to do, they impulsively just simply respond to the flesh. Whatever this flesh needs, they do. And they just run headlong into it and make a mess of their life. Amen? But as followers of Jesus with the Holy Spirit on the inside, we are called and empowered to live not by the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen? Who wants to live by the Spirit? Amen? I know I do. And what Paul is trying to say is, we are called to live by the Spirit, which means we give intentionality to the things that we do or don't do. So the question is, am I being intentional about the things I'm doing out there? Or, you know... Flip that around. Am I being intentional about the things I choose not to do? Knowing that outsiders are always watching my life. Am I engaging other people effectively in how I proclaim the word, how I proclaim the gospel of Jesus through my attitude and my behaviors, my habits, my lifestyle, and my priorities in this world? And you go, I'm not, Mark. I'm not. Well, guess what? I'm not going to beat you up. I'm going to say, this is where Paul is saying, if you lack wisdom in this, you can pray for it. And Jesus will help you. Aren't you grateful you got the Holy Spirit on the inside? You haven't got to do this by yourself, amen? And if we'll just ask him, he'll come running to help. So Paul is trying to say to us that our lives preach the gospel without words. Or they don't. But there's an intentionality required on the part of followers of Jesus to not be careless about whether we're doing this on purpose. And when we're not, hey, that's what altars are for, right? That's what conviction's about. That's what forgiveness is about. That's what falling on our knees before the Lord and crying out to help is all about. Our lives preach the word of God without our words, but our words do matter, amen? They do matter, and they are very important. Because at some point... If you're doing what Paul said at the beginning of this, devoting yourself to prayer, and you're praying for those unchurched family members, friends, co-workers, classmates, all of that, and you're praying, and your life is reflecting the character of the one whose name you bear, if you're living a life that's pleasing to the Lord and you're praying for people, at some point, the Holy Spirit's going to open up a door for you, 
and give you the opportunity to not just live for Jesus in front of people, but to tell people about Jesus. And your words do matter. And because your words matter, Jesus is going to give you an opportunity to share your faith with words. And since we never know when that opportunity is going to come, Paul says, he continues on in that text, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to answer everyone. Look at that text. Let your conversation, oh my, do we need to stop and reflect on our conversations for a moment? Let your conversation be all sometimes full of grace. When the Razorbacks are winning, full of grace, right? All right. No, no. Say it with me. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you can answer everyone. Now, when I hear that, conversation full of grace, seasoned with salt. In other words, our conversations are the salty conversations. You go, I know someone has a salty conversation. That's not what he's talking about, okay? He's saying that our words, our words do matter. And I would just simply add to that, our Facebook posts matter. Our social media presence matters out there, amen? When anytime we're engaged with people who are different than us or think differently than us or believe differently than us, here's what Paul says to them. When you're around people like that, outsiders, your words should be seasoned with salt. In other words, we are to be gracious and polite. You go, well, Jesus wasn't gracious and polite all the time, and you're exactly right. He was really hard on religious people like you and me. But he was always gracious to people who did not yet know him. And he calls us to join him there, seasoned with salt. I can't help it. When I hear that phrase, I immediately think of the Sermon on the Mount. I think of Jesus saying to his disciples that day when he was laying out for them an alternative kingdom, what we would call an upside-down world, an alternative lifestyle. Jesus says to them, to the followers of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. You guys remember that? Right? Let me think about salt for a minute. I think, okay, salt. Some of us are on blood pressure medication because we know that salt can kill us, amen? Right? Salt can do a bad deal, Right? You know, go out to the ocean, drink a whole belly full of that water and see what happens to you, right? It can really do a bad thing, but we also know that in right doses, salt can protect things, can't it? In right doses, salt can preserve stuff. You know, before refrigeration, that's what they had to use. In right doses, salt can heal, can't it? You know, I, I love being at the beach. I always feel like those cuts heal quicker whenever I'm out in that salty air and I don't know about you, but my fingernails grow better when I'm in the water at the ocean, right? I don't know about you, salt can heal stuff up. And then brothers and sisters, salt in right doses, can I get an amen? It adds flavor, amen? That's what salt can do. And I hear Jesus talking about saltiness, and I hear Paul talking about saltiness in our words. And I'm wondering, dear Jesus, in the words I speak in this world to outsiders, are my words protecting are they preserving? Are they healing words? Are my words words that add flavor to this really bland and bad tasting world? And if they're not, guess what? I can feel bad about it. I can just say, oh, it doesn't matter. Or I can ask for God to give me wisdom, amen? And he'll help me. You know, Peter was one of the earliest followers of Jesus. We know Peter, right? He's the guy, he was always the spokesman for the disciples, you know? Not a very good one. Peter was a guy that always put his foot in his mouth, wasn't he? 
You know, one of my stories, one of my favorite stories of the, of the early apostles is when Jesus sends them to another town and says, hey, go over there and get that place ready for us to visit. And he sends them off. There they go. Here they come. That town didn't welcome them. That town was really mean to them. That town ran them out. And they're so mad about it. They're furious. They're, they're flaring. Spits are flowing. And they come up to Jesus. You can just see the dust cloud behind them, right? As they're storming their way back to Jesus. Jesus, we went over to that town and we told them all about you. And we said that you are coming to give them a good thing. And they ran us out of town. Jesus, we got a solution. Why don't you call down fire from heaven and burn them all up? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've seen some Christians react just like that in the last few years. Amen. And Jesus looks at them and says, oh, brothers, you don't even know what spirit you're of. Because he recognizes that's the spirit of Antichrist in them. Amen. Well, that's, that's Peter early on. But when Peter writes his letters that we have in the New Testament, he's an old man by then. Right before he's executed because of his faith in Jesus. This is Peter after Pentecost. This is Peter after Acts 2. This is Peter after he was sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This is Peter looking back and seeing how good God is. And here's what he says to people who are living in a world kind of like the one we're living in today. 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 and 12. Just listen. Here's what he says. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Interesting to me that Peter, the guy who says, let's call down fire and burn them all up, that guy, the guy who pulls the sword out and cuts a dude's ear off because he's mad about what's going on, that guy, after he has the Holy Spirit living on the inside of him, he's basically saying, look, we're aliens and strangers in this world, I get it. I want your first reaction in a world like that to be this, you, not them, you abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul. In other words, my, what I want you to lean into in a world that's hostile to you is I want you to lean into a holy life. I want you to live a life that reflects the character of Jesus. I want you to live a sanctified, spirit-filled life that, that, that holiness of God flows out of your words and deeds. This is the same guy that said, burn them all up, cut off the ear. That's that guy. When the Spirit comes, though, he says, this is less about them and it's more about me. Live such good lives among the pagan. This is him talking. You live such a good life among them that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, brothers and sisters, in recent years, because we are an increasing minority in this world, Christians get blamed for lots of stuff. I have heard in recent years things that have happened in our culture where, where people in the world have literally called Christians sinners. We're the evildoers because we hold certain values in this world. Amen, right? Peter's saying, welcome to the club, brothers and sisters. Welcome to a world that doesn't love you anymore. Welcome to the first century, brothers and sisters. Now, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get mad about it. I want you to stand up and scream and shout. I want you to get bitter in this culture. Is that what he says? No. He says, welcome to the club. Now live a holy life in front of these people, amen? That's what he says. 
and live a life that's so different and so appealing in that way that they're gonna accuse you of doing wrong, but they're gonna see your life live before them in a life that reflects the character of Jesus. And even though they're gonna accuse you of doing wrong, he has such hope in the gospel that he says that by you doing that, some of those people are gonna be drawn to you Their lives are going to be changed because of your commitment to Jesus. And he has hope that when Jesus Christ returns on the day he visits us, that some of them, too, will be glorifying God on that day. Amen? Here's what I believe. I believe as long as we're walking with Christ in this world, that we are never, ever fully going to feel at home in whatever culture we're surrounded by. Because the gospel is countercultural. It is different. It is an upside down way of viewing the world, or I guess I would actually argue that it is the right side way of viewing the world. But even though we're aliens and exiles in this world, and here's what I hear when I hear alien exile, I think, oh no, I'm in big trouble. I need to go run and hide. Right? That's not what he's saying. We are spiritually isolated, we are socially isolated, we are, we are isolated in so many ways. But Peter's saying, in spite of that, we are not allowed to simply withdraw from contact with the world around us. Honestly, brother, one of the things I love about all, all these outside the walls things you guys do here at Greenbrier is basically you as a church have made a commitment. We're not going to withdraw from this culture. Right? We're going to do whatever it takes to be part of this culture. That's what Peter's hoping for. In fact, he doesn't even think it's an option. By the way... Because it wasn't an option, that's why he ended up being executed, because he refused to just go hide in a holy huddle. So he says instead, I want you to live a holy life. Abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul. I want you to live such a good life morally and relationally and ethically and spiritually that your actions in this world will overcome all the stereotypes and hateful labels that the world puts upon you. And maybe, just maybe, in doing that, people will begin to feel kind of bad about what they think about you. They'll actually engage you in a relationship. And because you've lived a life that honors Jesus, you've earned the right then when the Holy Spirit opens the door to tell them about the Lord. And he believes, and we have evidence historically that when Christians do this, people actually come to know Christ through the lives of people just like you and me. Amen? Doesn't stop there. Next chapter, chapter 3, he says this, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Be prepared always to tell people about this hope that you have. I mean, we have a hope, we're living in a pretty hopeless world, amen? But when people see hope in you, you can tell them about that. But look what he says, when you do it, when you tell people about this hope you have, and we know that hope is Jesus, amen? Do this, he says, with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Wow. Peter is so convinced in the power of the gospel and the... And the the all-encompassing capabilities of the Holy Spirit in this world, that God is always at work in our circumstances, no matter what they are, that he believes that if we'll just be faithful to Christ, Christ will be faithful to his word. What a novel concept, amen? That Jesus is faithful and that he will see to the gospel and that he will see to the church through people just like you and me committed to honoring him and how we live our life and what we say and do. Amen. 
And he says, if we'll do that, they'll say mean things, of course, but it'll start, remember that phrase where it'll heap coals upon their head? They'll start to feel ashamed about it because they see who you really are as opposed to what the world says that you are as a follower of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth, amen? But I can't help it when I hear that, I hear that other phrase Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you're the salt of the earth and you are the, say it with me, the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Remember that passage in Matthew chapter six, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one after a lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but puts it on a lampstand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. Amen? Remember that, remember in wrong doses, salt can kill? So true for light as well. You know, in wrong doses, we know what light can do. You know, just get within shouting distance of a nuclear weapon, right? Right? Be on the other side of a space cannon shooting a laser up into space. Don't want to do that, right? But we also know that in right doses, light chases darkness away. Amen? In right doses, light illuminates everything else. Amen? In right doses, light brightens things. In right doses, light can heal, can't it? Ever had cataract surgery? Light can heal, and in right doses, light reveals stuff. I think it's fascinating that as Jesus moves into the Sermon on the Mount, which is a pretty countercultural way of viewing the world and living in the world, he reminds his followers they are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In other words, he's trying to say to them, you are not allowed to simply isolate yourself from other people in this world. I've got you where I've got you for a reason. You go, well, we're in a minority. I'm like, so were they in the first century times 10. And they didn't isolate themselves. They lived differently in the world. They honored Jesus in the world. Jesus called them and calls us. Paul called them and calls us. Peter called them and calls us to model discipleship and faithfulness to God in the midst of a fallen world. Amen? Think about Jesus in his high priestly prayer, John 17. As he's preparing to go to the cross, he stops and he prays for us. Unbelievable to me. He prays for us as he's preparing for the cross. And when he prays for us to the Father, he does not ask the Father to take his followers out of the world. Instead, he prays to the Father, Father, sanctify them. Sanctify them so that they can be in this world, but not yet of this world. Amen? Let them remain in the world. God, I'm not asking you to take them out, even protect them from difficult times, but fill them so full of your spirit that they can tolerate it. But secondly, use them in the midst of this world. Help them to be in it, but not of it. You see, I think that, I think that the, the New Testament is calling people, and you and I are increasingly a part of a culture that's more and more like the setting of the earliest Christian letters. We don't have to just spiritualize these things anymore. They speak to where we live. And I think that the Bible, the New Testament, is calling us to live very intentionally in this world, brothers and sisters, to live our lives in such a way that, as Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, that people will see our good deeds and they will glorify our Father in heaven. And I believe that if we'll ask God, he'll help us with this. In fact, I think it's our only option in the world we live in, friends. We've tried all the other options and they don't work. 
We've tried to return to some sort of new normal or some normal that we remember from our childhood or our early years, and it's not accomplishing much. I think Jesus is calling us to just recognize this is the reality of the world we're in. And it's just like the world the earliest Christians found themselves. And it is in that place that the Holy Spirit not only can show up, but will show up. And he won't just show up in some sort of grand macro way, but he will show up, most importantly, in sometimes a much smaller micro way in your life. And he will not only transform you, but if you'll let him, and you'll be intentional, and you'll ask the Holy Spirit to come, he will, he will transform all of this through your life. Now, as you go from here today, I want you to start listening for things that can prompt you to live intentionally and invitationally in this world. Because here's the deal, you came today, I'm sorry. But you're here, obviously, because Jesus believed that this invitation is one he can trust you with. Again, you're not, nothing's an accident for you. You don't live where you live because you liked the house and chose to go there. No, no, that's what you think. You're a follower of Jesus. Your steps have been ordered by the Lord. You're there because Jesus believes he needs you in that place. You don't work where you work. I like my job. I went to school and earned a degree to go there. No, no. You're there because the Lord has ordered your steps and he needs you there. Amen. You're not a part of the family you're a part of. Oh, I love my family. I'm so grateful. Or, oh my, what a terrible group of people, right? You're not there by accident. Your steps have been ordered by the Lord. He has you in the midst of all of that beauty and dysfunction because he needs you there, amen? So as you go throughout your week this week, listen. The Holy Spirit's going to open doors and opportunities for you to live invitationally. You're in Greenbrier, and you have so many opportunities here because of what God is doing in this greater community. And as you go about your business this week, you might hear someone say something as simple as, I am new to town. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear someone say, I'm new to town, immediately as a follower of Jesus, I think, fresh slate, brand new start, wonderful opportunity for new friendships, new community, are they part of a church? Do they even, have they gotten connected yet? I'm new to town. And, you know, you guys never hear that in Greenbrier, do you? No one ever says I'm new to town, right? All the time, right? Oh, that's part of that. Don't, don't take them out of the world, but sanctify them in the world. I've got them in Greenbrier right where I need them, where people are moving. And they're where I want them so that I can bring them into a relationship with me. I'm new to town. How about this one? I feel lost or alone. You realize we live in a culture and a society that's never had more opportunity to people that's more isolated and lonely than people live in this world today? Some of you senior citizens, you're surrounded by senior adults who have no one in their life. God has put you in their life because they're lonely. Some of you have neighbors that are new to town. They don't know anybody. They are totally alone. Some of you young people, you go to school with kids who are completely isolated and Jesus has you there for a reason. How about this one? From people that have a Christian memory back there, went to Sunday school themselves, maybe haven't been to church much in their adult life, and they say, man, there were some things about that that were so good, the moral foundation. I want my kids to have a relationship with God or the opportunity to have that like I had. But they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. They haven't been in church for years. And there you are, open doors, opportunity to invite. It's not like your church doesn't do things that you can bring them to to let their kids get connected, amen? How about this one? I feel like a failure at fill in the blank. 
Marriage is a mess. Kids don't respect me. No one likes me. Everything I try to do falls flat. Everything I try seems to come back at me. People walk through our world bearing that burden all the time. And maybe you are the person for the first time that can help them feel like they're successful at something, even if it's nothing more than coming to a relationship with the Lord. But you can speak hope and life to people in that way. How about this one? I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know how to help my child know what to do with their life. You know, we, we have people that are struggling to take next steps in this culture Maybe you could be that person that could take a hand and give someone a hand up in a direction that they need to go. And then one that we hear all the time and we're going to increasingly hear, people aren't even shy about saying it when I meet them because they find out what I do and, you know, I love the Lord and, boy, it comes right out of them. I haven't been to church in a long time. I live in Conway. Lots of people moving on my side of town. You know, I used to go to church, but I haven't been in a long time. Man, well, I can... I can run away from that or I can see that's the Lord at work and an opportunity to speak hope and life to people. See, brothers and sisters, we're not gonna see people come to faith because we got a building here and you got a great one. Because we have a presence on a corner, we're not gonna see people's lives transformed. Not today. This is not a if you build it, they will come community or a culture that we're part of. Brothers and sisters, if there's any hope for people to come to faith in Christ, It's going to be because you and me get seriously about being intentional, about living a life that honors the Lord and taking advantage of the opportunities that Jesus provides to share the hope of Christ with them. It's not going to happen any other way. And I'll just tell you, there's no plan B on this. It is us or it's lights out for this world. And it's not just if it's us, meaning our institutions. It's us, meaning the body of Christ. And getting it all said right and standing strong on our principles, that's not going to cut it. we got to do those things. But we've got to be intentional about making sure that our life is actually reflecting the principles we demand the rest of the world live by. That the holiness we want for our world is actually being lived in our life and through our life. That the things that we're saying and the things that we're doing and the priorities we're setting, habits that we're demonstrating, that they are reflecting the one whose name we bear. Because if we don't do that, nothing else we say about that Jesus is going to mean anything to the world. But if we get that right, and that's where the Holy Spirit says he'll help, then the open doors will come. And it doesn't matter. You go, can you imagine trying to share your faith in a prison cell like Paul was in? People came to faith there. Because Paul recognized that everywhere he goes and everything he does, he is there as an ambassador of the Lord. And that he has responsibility, not Pastor Steve, not the staff, not the board, but he has responsibility to reflect the character of Jesus in that setting. And if we'll all do that, oh my. Because there's so few Christian churches, I believe, leaning into that. I think if we do that as a church, Jesus will bring 
the community to this place to find that type of hope. And I wouldn't say these things to you. I mean, I'm, Paul wouldn't say these things to you if he didn't believe in you and have confidence, every confidence in you that you are the exact group of people that Jesus needs in 2023 to pull this off. You know, those saints that we all love from the past, you know, I'm, I'm in my 50s now, and people are passing away all the time that I looked up to. I loved them. But they had their time, and they lived in their era, and I don't know how they would live in this environment. But Jesus didn't raise them up for that environment. He raised them up for their environment, and they were faithful there. Well, guess what? In the same way he used them where they were at that time, he has placed you here. You're not an accident. Your, your life is due to the providence of God. You live where you live and you work where you work and you go to school where you go to school and you do what you do and you're in this church and you, you're a part of this place in America in 2023 because Jesus has called you up for such a time as this. And I guess he must believe that if there's any hope for the world, for him to work through them, that he believes that you and I are the very people he can use to accomplish that. And, and I don't think because I'm a follower of Jesus, I have the opportunity to just kind of blow that off. If I'm true to him, I've got to get serious about saying, Jesus, help me. God, give me wisdom. Help, show me what I need to do. Open those doors and Brothers and sisters, because I think so few Christians are praying prayers like that, I think if you pray a prayer like that, he will come running to answer it. In fact, I'll just say what I used to tell my congregation in Tennessee before I came back here. I double dog dare you to pray that prayer. And just see what Jesus will do to make a difference in your life so that he can make a difference through your life. And if we're all doing that, Pastor Steve, wow, can you imagine the army, the army of what God can do to touch this entire community for the gospel. Amen. Jesus, we love you so much. And we want to be used by you in our world. And God, our world has got us all scared. So many of our brothers and sisters have publicly modeled ways to respond to that that have not been helpful for us. And we somehow think that we have to be like that if we're going to be faithful. But God, help us not to find our marching cues from social media or from talking heads. Help us to find our marching orders from the word of God. Because there we find people that have actually lived in communities like this, far, far more difficult settings. And God, what I love about them is that no matter how they experienced life there, they never gave up. They never lost hope because their hope was not in the culture. Their hope was in Jesus. And they believed that no matter what was going on around them, that you were greater than he is in the world and that you were going to take hold of the situation and that you were going to bring it to fruition for your kingdom's purpose. And they wanted to be a part of that, no matter what it cost them. And I pray for these wonderful people that there might be a few of them that would simply raise their heart's hand and say, Jesus, me too. Do that work in me. 
Lord, I pray for this church as they walk forward together in this. Pastor Steve and his staff as they lead. Lord, I look forward to hearing about the unbelievable things that continue to occur through Greenbrier Naz as a result of the decisions made by these wonderful people on this day. And for what you'll do, we give you praise. We give you thanks in your wonderful name. And we all agreed together and said, amen. Thank you so much for the privilege to be here with you today. God bless you. Thank you. I want to thank Dr. Lindstrom so much for sharing the truth. And uh, what a great message. Thank you. Appreciate you. Before we uh, close with our benediction, I just want to share something with you real quick. Uh, some of you may know, uh, those of you that are on our prayer chain, uh, got an email early this morning. Uh, but those of you that, that didn't receive that, on our way back yesterday from um, our pastors and spouses retreat, uh, I got a phone call that uh, our children's director, Amanda Odom, had been taken to the hospital and was very ill. Um, as I got into Greenbrier, I got another call that she was being admitted to the hospital. Uh, they did emergency surgery on her last night. She has a really serious condition going on with one of her kidneys. Uh, they did surgery last night, and they have admitted her into ICU. Her blood pressure was too low. Um, it it is gradually came up uh, during the night. Josh texted me uh, during service and said they're going to keep her in ICU, uh, and they're starting the blood pressure meds back. And so I would just ask that you pray for Amanda Odom and Josh and their family and that God would bring healing to her body. And so if you would please join me in that prayer uh, today, and we'll keep you all updated. Let's stand together this morning as we go, as we've been reminded today of the call on our lives as the church. Let us go out with this benediction. Lord, let us go out into the world in peace and dedicated to your service. Let us hold tightly to that which is good, supporting the weak, helping the needy, and honoring all people. May the strength of God sustain us. May the power of God preserve us. May the hands of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the love of God go with us this day and forever. Amen. God bless you all. I love you so much. Don't forget your Thanksgiving food boxes and shoe boxes.